You're listening to The Lost Art of Liner Notes, a podcast by Rumble Yard. Recently, we invited Andrew W.K. and his manager, Pete Galley, into our studio to talk about making Andrew's new album, You're Not Alone. They say that nobody changes, but I'm living proof that they do. Because I found the answer, and you can find the answer too. They made me think I was crazy, and that the pain was here to stay. But now that I've found the answer, I'm never ever gonna lose my way, ever again. My name is Pete Galley. I am uh, Andrew's manager and have been for 12, 13 years now. And um, this is Andrew W.K. Hello. My name is Andrew W.K. And I've been a professional partier focusing on the rock music genre since, uh, well, I guess the first Andrew W.K. album came out in 2001. So we're here to talk about my new album, You're Not Alone. So, Andrew, let's go back to trying to make the album... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> this album, it's basically over 10 years. Because... We were thwarted by circumstance, yes. by destiny, by happenstance, by great opportunities that were impossible to resist. Yeah. It was the most uh, wonderful and yet frustrating process, just trying to block off the time to record, even for a week. Yeah, it was. For many years on end, it was, every time we're like, okay – Let's go record, and then something would happen. I'm like, well, we can't say no to that. We have to go. You have to go do this. So, I got asked questions. Why did it take so long for Andrew to make a record? I love Andrew's music, and I was like, well, what do you say no to this or that? And and it was so interesting. Andrew gets to do so many different things outside of music, but it does feel amazing right now to come back to music and have a record that I'm really proud of. And and Andrew, you should be because I think it's a glorious record, start to finish, and really moves me uh, emotionally. Well, thank you. Because of the fact it was recorded over such a long period of time, I was telling a gentleman last night that some of the songs go back to 2005. I mean, and to think that they would ever be able to hold together in any kind of uh, rational or even emotionally relevant sense that there'd be any kind of cohesion seems ridiculous. So Uh, what songs? What songs started in 2005? Well, Break the Curse started around that time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's break the so break the curse is the oldest song on the record then if I think idea? so okay I think so but uh, devil's on your side which comes right before that on the track list yeah that's for maybe a year after that I think of the album as having movements to it do you feel that way only now yeah only now but only it, well, now. not when you're making the record of course yeah but I think a lot of people would assume um, rightfully so that to make maybe any kind of album, but maybe this one in particular, this style of this concept that you'd set out with a concept, that you'd set out with a story to tell or with a even an emotional tone that you wanted to adhere to. There was no kind of conscious effort to tell a particular story or to hold the songs together in a way that communicated some consistent feeling at all. That really came at the end. It, it did. It, and it in the came track listing. In the track listing and, and, on the, and the songs that you ended up picking to finish because you had started a lot of different songs. And but then, even that was instinctual. It wasn't yeah, it was realized. It was just thinking this song's better than that one. Yeah. The hope is that you can totally turn yourself over to that instinct that isn't 
thinking, does this make sense or not? Does this fit in or not? Does this tell the story or not? I've never been able – it actually just doesn't appeal to me with all due respect to people who do enjoy working within uh, a conceptual frame or a story-based frame or a particular expression of some experience that they want to convey. I haven't been able to work that way, I guess because it feels constraining. And instead you just – I just try – to, it's, it feels like I'm just doing what I'm told to do. Like there's this feeling that's so strong. I'm being shown what I'm supposed to do, and then the effort goes into yeah. can you make the song that that you just were told to make by your inner, I guess your inner eye or your inner ear, whatever it is. So yeah. that's all I was following. But with your feedback and with other people's helpful feedback, there was a lot of contributions. Well, that I think maybe we together. should start at the end here because we're talking about it real quick, and we'll go back to the beginning of making the record. I'll tell a quick story. I had a moment with the album. Um, I was driving from Phoenix to Los Angeles, and you it was the first time that we had kind of put an idea of a track listing together, and you sent me the track listing. The sequence. The sequence. And I listened to it back to back, and I was really emotionally moved, and to the point of where I had to pull the car over. Um, oh, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, I was going. I was having a really tough time. There was something in my personal life that was happening, and um, it really moved me. And that's where this is a really intense story. I had this idea of the album cover or the album name, and I called you and said, "Andrew, this is moving me so much. I can't believe it." And I had a couple ideas of flipping. I think flipping one song and the other. Mm-hmm. And I said, "There's. I'm very strong. You know, I very rarely call you and say I have something. And I and this. This. I feel very strongly about this." And and that's where I said, I think the album should be called You're Not Alone. And you really loved the idea. And then you said, you won't believe this. I have this song called You're Not Alone. I, and you didn't even, because that song wasn't even on the record at that point. That was one I had been holding back. Yeah, and I didn't even sure know of. that. And yeah. it was like this weird omen. And so then you're like, I got to finish that song now. I'm not even sure if Total Freedom was done yet or was That hadn't even been, been started recorded yet. Yeah. And so I think we, we'll start there because this was an amazing moment. You called me and said, I had a dream last night and the song was in my dream. So tell that story about how, what happened with Total Freedom. Cause well, this, so this is the very last song that made the record. We were in the mixing phase of the album, so everything was done or was supposed to, to be done. But the fantastic engineer and really co-producer on this album, Ted Young, who can, I, I cannot speak highly enough. He's We I've, have to talk about Ted in a second. I've, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he was the key to this whole thing of the, folk, the focus and the direction. And keeping it fluid, he was yes. able to keep the, – the goal was to keep the, 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 the album-making process, even through mixing, to be open enough so that you could – 
rewrite a whole part of a song. Or you could make a whole new song even while you're mixing. We, we even were recording and, and changing things and mastering. And then yeah. even after mastering was oh, done. Yeah. And it was all because of the incredible selfless generosity of Ted Young and the mastering engineer Gentry Studer, people that just really gave us a lot of leeway to do what was essentially very unreasonable. To get back to the song Total Freedom, so the record was essentially done and we were we only had about three days of mixing left. And the schedule, as is often the case with recording, it seems to be for many people, or mixing, is uh, I would sleep a portion of the day and work all night. But because we were running out of time, there was a lot less time spent sleeping, and the sleeping that was done was quite fitful and, and for me, riddled with anxiety nightmares and, and things like that. And one of these anxiety nightmares consisted of, of me having a conversation with Pete. I remember it was on the, we were on the waterfront by the Brooklyn Bridge, and it was, the feeling in the dream, it just sort of plopped into the middle of this interaction we were having, that something really horrible had happened. It was basically that my career was over, which is a dream I have a lot that everything's collapsed for some fault of my own. The album is a big failure. Everything's falling apart. And, and we're kind of meeting for one last time to see what we can do to salvage whatever pieces uh, of my life that are dangling above the abyss. Very dark. And as we're having this last very solemn conversation, almost like a eulogy to our time working together, I hear this song playing on the radio somewhere in the distance in the atmosphere, and it's this incredible song. And I was just blown away, and I stopped cold in my tracks and, and asked Pete in the dream, what is this song? He said, oh, I'm surprised you haven't heard this. Yeah, this is the new hit song by this so-and-so supergroup. I just felt so destroyed that I couldn't make a song like that. And I, that's why I said, I said why, how come I don't get to make a song like this? What's wrong with me that I can't make a song like this? And he said, well, you know, some people just aren't. It's not just not meant to be for some people. And then I woke up and remembered everything about the song. I almost felt like I was obligated to do it. And I was quite doubtful by the end of the recording process, which was very frantic because I, I think I recorded that whole song in two days where some of the other yeah. songs, as I said, I've been working on for 12, 13 years. It was the shortest recording period to get a song done. And a whirlwind, and by the end of it, I had no perspective on whether it was good or not, but I felt I was obligated to whatever mysterious phenomenon had just occurred to show respect to that dream that, that gave me that song and make it. There's Total Freedom, and that was the last song to be recorded. To be recorded, You're Not Alone had been somewhat recorded, right? But you hadn't finished it? I've generally recorded in a solitary work environment yeah. by myself, one instrument at a time, building up these songs alone. And that's how the first album was made. That's how every album ultimately was made. Even when it was always done by myself, the goal was it to sound like there was a lot of people yeah. 
making this music, even when it was truly just me. One of the issues I've had with following instincts of mine is I've, for better or worse, oftentimes intentionally tried to contradict those instincts and go against them. And going into this album, I think also due to the frustration that had developed from how difficult it had been to carve out time, that I took a radical approach and said, let's go into a studio that we rent a long-term studio for a whole month and assemble some of the band, some of my live band, for the first time ever in the recording studio and make the album like that and make stuff up as we go along. I had really pushed you for years to try to isolate you because... Andrew W.K., uh, quote-unquote, gets a lot of requests to do amazing things that we can't say no to. And you being in Manhattan, you would get some TV show opportunity that would be amazing, and then instead of recording, we'd go do that, or you'd get some opportunity to do whatever. And so I, I had heard about this recording studio in rural Texas on the border of Mexico, um, and a lot of people have been recording there and they have the best gear and they have everything there and it's intentionally they cook for you and things. So you go there and you can focus and there's nothing to do. You're literally you, – you're hours away from any anyone. I kind of really pushed you to do that. and But I gladly – allowed you to. Yeah, you knew you knew that's what we need to do. I mean, after years and years of trying to start and stopping making a record, it was time to do it. We had done the deal with Sony. It was like the clock was ticking. We had to deliver an album, which was a good pressure to have too. Uh, definitely. And so we went to a place called Sonic Ranch. And the idea was to go there with a couple guys first in the band and then add guys down the road. And for the first two weeks, you complained. I'm not going to lie. Oh, Remember yeah. you? I mean, all oh, I got yeah. were texts. You were miserable. I mean, it wasn't Sonic Ranch. But they, they're great people. It was beautiful. more— Beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. facility. I mean, everything you said is true. The, the equipment and the gear and the people working there. and It's it, on a pecan farm. It's isolated exactly as you described. And the studio you were in is the old—what was it? The Customs house. Customs house for Mexico, you know, coming in from Mexico. So it's literally on the border. There's all these stories about the place, drug runners and all these things on this place. It had this history. And I was just getting texts from you saying, what do you, what do, you do? Look at this place. I can't handle it. You know, like you, you were—and I kind of took that managing long enough that that might have been almost a fear of like diving in completely— and it was like, you're going to do anything to kick and scream to not have to focus on the record. Cause, and then after you were there for one month, and after about two weeks of complaining, I didn't hear from you. And then I was like, all right, this is great now. All right, he's doing it now. You know, cause, we hit a stride. Yeah. And we had fun pretty consistently. But I, I was quite frustrated with myself that I had once again gone against my instinct thinking that this time it would be different and there'd be something – fun about going against that instinct and, and rewarding or I would grow from it or it'd be a, a worthwhile challenge. And it just seemed quite clear to me that it was just not what I was supposed to do. And so you look, it was more satisfying to complain than to, to take responsibility and say, I just, I'm doing what I shouldn't have done and it's my fault. But we did manage to get some very small amount of stuff. Well, we got a lot of stuff recorded, but only a very small portion of it Ended up on their album. Yeah, and I yeah. just got back from that and realized I can never... I mean, life is quite short, and I don't need to learn that lesson again. Yeah. I'm not meant to record that way. Yeah. And it wasn't so much the, the facility or being with the band members or anything about the physical space. I have to be alone. Yeah. I can't I have even one other person there. 
So explain that. So then you rent a house and you set up the studio in this house and you are isolated and you start recording now after the Sonic Ranch experience. Now, the Sonic Ranch experience was what, May of 16? I guess, yeah. Sounds May of right. 16. So the entire month of May of 16, you're in Sonic Ranch. I remember you rent a house after that. You set up your studio. I come to there to hear everything. I hear everything. I'm like, uh, there's kind oh, of... Oh, the stuff we played from... From Sonic Ranch. From, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And, and, and I, I was quite distraught to play it for you. Yeah. And I was I was freaked out. I, I got freaked out because I was like, holy shit, we just spent a third of our recording budget on going in to record in Sonic Ranch and there's nothing here, nothing really to use. I mean, there's ideas, but I thought would be further along. And It was very grim. I forgot how dark that, that was. I, blo- I blocked that out. <laughs> well, I tried, I tried to, you know, I didn't want you to go darker. So I was like, hi, oh, you got some good things. And I, and I remember walking away going, oh my God, this is. Well, you didn't this- tell me that. Jeez. <laughs> good thing. <laughs> I know. Holy cow. I hold back on that stuff. So, well, I was saying it was worse than you were saying it, and you actually agreed. You just didn't say so. Well, there were some good ideas there. You know, there's sparks. I mean, well, the, no, there's the, the, the two songs that we used, there's a, a portion of material that we use, and some of it is as good as what, anything. What are they? Album. Well, Party Mindset yeah, was which recorded is there. Amazing. Um, which is co written with Doug Anson, who there's two co writes. Three co-writes. Three, three co-writes but on two the with Doug. Two with Doug, Ever Again, and Party Mindset, and then one and, with but, Blake Canaris, which is You're Not Alone, yeah. which was also recorded at Sonic Ranch. And that was my favorite thing. Coming out of Sonic Coming Ranch. out of it. Although I felt very good about Party Mindset as well. Let's talk about Music is Worth Living for. When did that come about during the record-making, writing process and record-making process? Like, Because it just kind of appeared one day for me when I heard it. And maybe it was one of the first songs you guys mixed or something. And I remember just playing, I was headbanging and playing air guitar in my living room, that song. And I, that was the moment I was like, oh shit, this is it. Here we go. Something happened after that really dismal, dark time getting back from the Texas studio where there was a period of a week or something where I was just very down. And then I don't really remember, unfortunately. I wish I did. It's probably painful, so I blocked it out. But something shifted. I think a, a panic probably that I had to start recording. I had to do something, and I had to just start fresh. I think I think I was so nauseated by... You did say that to me. You said, I- I'm going to start completely fresh. <laughs> yeah, I was so nauseous from the feelings I had now associated with the Texas material. I wasn't going to keep working on it, trying to turn it into something at that point. I was just going to just record. And the studio setup that we we made for me to work by myself was the nicest studio setup I'd ever had. So that was very conducive. And a lot of it was also the same stuff I've always had, so it was also very familiar. There was no learning curve. I could just immediately go. And anyone who works on anything that they're familiar with, you you get into – there's no distance between your idea and the 
execution. Technical, technical execution. Yeah, the it. execution yeah. of it. And that's what we were able to build with the studio. So it was very easy to work very quickly. So, so do you remember music as we're living or what was yeah, it? Was uh, it a guitar this, riff? All what all was the, the, no, it was always p- piano first. Yeah. All, all of a sudden, I couldn't record fast enough to get all the ideas. And I'd be recording one idea and another one would happen. So I'd have to pause and open a new file to start a new song wow. so that I could remember this other idea. And then another one would happen or there would be three or four within that one and I would start breaking them off into different songs. And it was so much happening at once. And I thought, why couldn't have this happened a month ago? And why? what were all those songs in that the whole The whole record. I mean, and plus a bunch that I had to save for the next one that I think are just as good. Yeah. I mean, every song, I mean, let's say, uh, you know, music is worth living for. So that started That started as a halftime beat with that chord change and this oh, yeah. uh, oscillating organ. And a halftime beat on that. Wow. And a halftime beat, and I and I really liked it. it. Was it was getting that feeling I wanted? I wanted this certain kind of emotional. De- it is the right word, but it's beyond emotion, or it's the culmination of all emotions together. I often describe it like in movies or in the Olympics, those high points in yeah. in life where it's you're you're crying, you're 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 laughing, you're moved, you're just deeply moved. Can music take you to that place where you get those chills? Yeah, and you can't explain it. It's the feeling of being alive, right? So, I I thought, okay, this chord change is doing that. I think I could just use the same chord cycle the whole song, and then, as is often the case, what's quite exciting is about once you get it established enough as a keyboard based part, then I'll bring in the guitar, and that's when I did the na 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 na, and that's an, that's just a go to move in a way for me too. You realize you have these inclinations for certain kinds of parts and certain kinds of riffs. And the way I, again, based on limitation, I don't know how to really play or I never bothered to learn how to play chords on the guitar. So I end up doing all these. I play it more like a keyboard where the whole the fretboard is like the notes across the piano key. I don't modulate up and down uh, on the frets. From top to bottom, I go left to right like you would on a Up keyboard. And down the neck, yeah. Yeah, and match that with the the piano, and that's when that riff came, and I liked it even more. And what about the that part? I mean, where did that come from? I don't know. Because that's like, who knows? I mean, that blew my mind when I heard that. And that's that was difficult for me to play too. But you know, you do enough takes until you get it. And this is what everyone always seems to say: is you wish you knew how those parts. You don't feel like you made it. Because you didn't strive for it. You didn't say, I need some part that does this thing there. It just, next thing you know, it was there. So the writing and the recording, I think for people listening to this, is all kind of hand in hand with these songs. Like you start, you come up with this idea. You might be working on a different song and you come up with this idea and you're playing on keyboard and you hit record and you put down a keyboard first Mm -hmm. and everything's based around that. And you put a click down, so you're playing with a click. uh, oftentimes, be- because com- they have been often coming so quickly that I don't even have time to put yeah. down the click. I'll, e- I'll even risk record on onto uh, the keyboard itself has a built-in recorder. Oh wow! Or on a little tape recorder, whatever's around. Yeah. So um, to remember it, it. Yeah, just get the get the idea down. Yeah. And then from there, then you go build the song 
on on in Pro Tools. So you go in yeah. and you and you start you you put a click on and you start playing keyboards and you and it's the first track when you're building the song a keyboard. Yeah, the first will be a piano. Wow, piano keyboard sound. And that's the chord structure, melodies, the whole thing. Not necessarily the melodies. Oh, okay. just be the chord structure and um, various parts. And I'll stay working on that until I have what I feel is a, a solid enough foundation to then start the drums, which I'll do second. Oh, drum second, okay. And the drums, that will just be a basic drum track that mm-hmm. that helps to... You're, you're constantly testing it to see, yeah. is this good? Is this, yeah. is this good? And you're you just hope constantly that each, adding. Yeah, and you hope that each thing you add literally adds to it. Yeah. And sometimes it, it will start to sh- show itself to not be that strong. And you take stuff out and it goes back to it or... No, you, you just think that this isn't that good. And then you and the song's done. And set it aside, an yeah. Set it aside. And so you're just in a room by yourself, inspired for a song. You throw it down a keyboard. Then you start building the track. You you have a click. You have a keyboard. Then you put drums on. The drums are very simple. You're not putting fills and stuff. You add those later? Only if there's a certain a certain undeniable signature kind of fill that yeah. adds that that feeling. Yeah, 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 I got it. For example, on that music is worth living for, initially it was, the whole song was doom, cha, doom, doom. And then I thought, okay, what's another kind of beat I could have that I'd never had on a song before? Yeah. And that's when I thought, oh, what about leading with the snare? And yeah. and once that arpeggiating thing that I was doing on the keyboard, that da-na-na-na-na-na, which you can barely hear, it's in there. Yeah. I thought, what if this, the drums... Played like that, like da ba 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 da ba 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 da ba 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 da ba da ba da ba da ba. I said, "Oh, that's you know, it's it's not faster, but it feels more intense." Yeah, it's chugging a little bit. It's it's cool. Yeah, it's not, and it's not. You don't. I always love it when you don't have to increase the tempo. I think playing live for so many years now also got me very excited about what if we had a song that was like this in the set? What if we could take the feeling in the show to this extreme place that we've never had? And this album was full. In a way that was also, I think perhaps more than anything else in terms of what would get me excited is I envisioned the song from the very beginning, lot, what will yeah. this be like live? You would tell me that. I remember you said you would be really excited, like, oh my God, this song's going to be so great live. And thinking and, about it like that when you're listening to it, imagining the crowd right then as that intro starts or that part kicks in or, or what this will feel like on stage or how we could do an interlude, an interlude into this song. Um, so, okay, we ready for this? Let's talk about the thing that you did very last on the record, which was... Very, very last. Very last, which is, for people who know how to make records, is one of the craziest things that I've heard of. Explain that. To start with what we actually did in the mastering studio, again, just... The album is mixed. It's done. We're we're mastering it in Los Angeles with mastering engineer Gentry Studer. Okay, so mastering, real quick, if anybody doesn't know, listening, is the icing it's the cherry on top the icing on the cake what they do is they make all the levels even everything's ready to come out two speakers you're not mixing a snare drum higher or lower everything is set and then you make the whole album sound together and you also time out the songs between each thing on the track listing and that's when you put the whole album together so anyway we're at that point in los angeles as we're mastering the album i believe we told him we wanted to record a motivational speech or three in the mastering studio to put on the album. And he didn't even bat an eye. I think he was kind of entertained by it. because. It, well, first he said, I, let me see if I have a microphone. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, I haven't hit record 
in years, right? in eight years or something like that. Because why would he? That's not what yeah, his exactly. job is supposed to be. And the idea to have these motivational speaking tracks came from an amazing woman that I'm very lucky to work with called Karen Glauber. And she has been a tireless believer in this effort I've been making, uh, going all the way back to the beginning. Yes. And understood it or saw potentials or, or aspects uh, within it that very few people did. And that always was very meaningful to me. So I always took her point of view. To describe who Karen Glauber is, Karen Glauber is at the management company I work at. But she also, she wears a lot of hats. She's kind of an industry legend. You'll see her in a lot of documentaries about Big Star. And she's in the book about Semisonic. And, mm-hmm. and she would always, she'd be very slight about giving a suggestion. And when she did, it's always been dead on. So she made a suggestion. She did. I, I went to play here. I was terrified oh, yeah. of doing this. I went to play her some early versions of the songs as I was working on them. And I think she was the only person who, besides Pete, who was hearing some of these, and besides my wife and, and, and the engineer, Ted. I don't know. It's, it's an unnerving I, I was dizzy. I remember it was. It, I was all yeah, I nauseous very, we and talked dizzy. About it. And I also was there, sitting in person with her. It wasn't like we yes. handed it off and you go listen to <laughs> yeah. it on your own. I had to be there in the room, yeah, not listening because she was listening on headphones, I, which was better. I didn't even want to hear it. Yeah. So it, explain so that she she was very kind, and I and did like it. Fortunately, yeah. enough to not have anything ext- negative to say right off the bat. And she had some very specific ideas, which I never would have thought of in a million years, was to have motivational speeches on the album. Just three, very short. And she thought it would tie together all the other endeavors in a meaningful way that we've been doing over all these years in the, in the time when there weren't albums coming out. The writing I was doing, the lecture tours I was doing, the positive self-help-based kind of mindset philosophy to put that right in the album. Real blatant. Not only would I never have thought to do that, that was the, the most terrifying idea out of all yeah. the things I could imagine being on there because it was so exposed and so naked and where the rest of the album was just labored over and layered and layered and layered and, and obscured. You know, any weakness is obscured by the power of this music. If it is weak, it's, it's intensely weak. But this was just me talking. Yeah. And we recorded it last second. That's the only way I could well, have done so, it. So this was, this was months before the mastering. So the idea was out there. Yeah, and it had, you're right. Yeah, yeah and it was, the idea was out there. And I remember hearing, go, oh, that's amazing. Because I just, I, I love the things that have always worked for you, being Andrew, Andrew's manager. I love pushing Andrew and also seeing things that are like just not many artists can take this big a risk. And Andrew takes a lot of risks. And, and that's what art's all about. And so we went back to that suggestion from Karen. So fast forward, it was there. And when we we're mastering, it was so obvious to me. And I remember really pushing you to do it. And we're in the mastering studio. He gets out this, this microphone out of a closet. I remember, I, remember, I remember this. Gentry was literally having to like go through like some shit. <laughs> like he had a pile of stuff in a closet. He said, okay, I found a good microphone. And he had a little isolation booth in there. And you just went for it. It was done very quickly, and I had no opinion about it, meaning I didn't know if it was good or the worst thing I'd ever done. Most of them were one take. You did a couple takes on some things. Yeah, and you had some feedback about the tone, and your thing yeah. was just make it st- just just straighter, just plain. Yeah. And there was no effects. 
that Ted was also in the room, yes. uh, Ted Young, and said, yeah, let's just do this completely dry, no reverb, no, no background yeah. sounds or any accompaniment. And uh, I could barely stand to listen to them on playback, just enough to finish putting them together. And that's one thing I I, I think when you try to I was trusting that instinct again. And what I what I remember what I I said to myself to make myself feel okay about it was, you can't let your own that would have been my own fear, my own insecurity, my own even self-centeredness in a way, stand in the way of the instinct. I can't do that because in a very strange way, even though it's called Andrew WK and it's me on the covers, it's not about me. It's about me delivering this feeling. And I can't stand in the way of that feeling with my own weakness. In the midst of all the doubt, all the uncertainty, all the frustration, all the confusion, we must never lose sight of the parts of life that we're absolutely clear about the parts of life that bring us undeniable and reliable joy. These are sacred. They give us strength. They give us pure physical and emotional energy. And that purely good feeling that tells us that life really is worth living, even when it's hard. The truest part of ourself is found inside the clarity of this feeling. This feeling is the life force. It lives inside the undeniable love that we have for the people and aspects of life that bring out the best we have to offer. Let this love define us. Let our spirit be fortified by this loving clarity. This love is our destiny, and our ultimate quest is to protect it, to amplify it, and to rejoice in sharing its power with all the world. A lot of the making of the record, I'm really excited for people to hear this. And I'm really proud of you, Andrew, for doing this. It's, it's uh, a life accomplishment that you should be proud of. Well, I'm, I'm certainly thankful and I'm proud that somehow I've managed to be fortunate enough to have you and this incredible team that made this possible. Because this really is, at this stage of my career, this album was not because of me. I needed someone to give me this opportunity, and, and, and you, you did, Pete. So thank you. Thank you for all the years of belief and for seeing it through to this point. And it's beautiful to think that if it had happened any other way or any earlier, it wouldn't have been like it is. You've made a, a piece of art that will move people and that will change people's lives. You've set a tone that makes people want to live life to its fullest, and that is what this album is start to finish by the grace of the party gods and hopefully it won't be 20 years from now that it takes to make another album I think 30 probably oh, but okay yeah huge thanks to Andrew WK and Pete Galley for being our guests you can visit andrewwk.com to find out more about his new album You Are Not Alone available now this episode was produced by Lee Stimmel Mark Grandy Donna Shapiro and me Matthew Billy Special thanks to Simon Marcus of Pippa and Red Music. The Lost Art of Liner Notes is a Rumble Yard production. Rumble Yard is a division of Sony Music. For more information, please visit rumbleyard.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>